0: I'm Walt Tyson the Crypto Skeptic. Let's talk crypto. And once again I have a special guest joining me today and this guy is pretty cool, let me tell you. This guy has quite the story. This is like this is almost like the American dream story. He is originally from down under from Australia. He came to the US and he made his fortune I mean, is there a more classic American story than that one? I don't know that there is, but we're going to learn more about it. So, Miles Wakem, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. How are you doing there in beautiful, warm Scottsdale, Arizona?
1: Yeah, wonderful. Trying to keep out of that beautiful warm as much as we possibly can. (laughs) (laughs) We have not so much beautiful warm here.
0: Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Well, hey, as long as it's where you love to be, that's the most important thing in the world. so. So true. And we're so glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us on this. Uh, this is a special segment that I added in the last uh, few weeks here to uh, the regular podcast, in which we talk about cryptocurrencies and uh, the role that they are currently playing, and the role that they could be playing, or can they even play? And that's really kind of of the question that we're addressing here. And uh, Miles is—he's uh, quite the expert on it. He actually has uh, some pretty uh, studio shows. I mean, he's, he's got, he, he's reached the big audiences. And well, first of all, I got to ask you that, that's got to feel good, right? Cause you're helping a whole lot of people when you get on a show like that. But, uh, yeah. what, 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 what's <laughs> been your favorite one so far?
1: Uh, I don't know. I've been on so many different shows. Um, I wouldn't want to single anyone out cause then I'll piss everybody else off. Sure. Uh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I get that. But, I realized as soon as I asked that, that was kind of a leading question. So sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> But that's, yeah, it's really cool. You've, you've been on some very high-powered shows and, and, uh, I, I applaud you and I, I, I'm just very pleased that you decided to join me here today. So thank you very much.
1: Oh, no, so, I'm honored. It's great. So, we'll have a good chat.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, th- so cryptocurrency. Now I became aware of Bitcoin when it first came out. I was one of those who stayed away from it. Um, you somewhere along the line decided that there was something interesting going on there. So can you give us like a little overview of how that came about for you?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a software developer since 1978, so mm-hmm. it kind
0: of dates me. Um, <laughs> that's
1: what actually brought me, well, that and uh, I fell in love with the girl and moved to the Los Angeles, go figure. Uh, um, the 25-year-old, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, um, right. That's what brought me here, uh, but I, what probably kept me here, I guess, was the opportunities in technology. Mm. Uh, so as a software developer, you see the world through a kind of a different filter. Um, you see problems that need solutions Mm -hmm. and you, the seventies, the eighties, the Mm nineties, all the way through. It's always been how I've made my money is how I've done my, uh, you know, fed my family. Um, in reality, what I found out with, with the software was in the nineties, particularly was this thing called the internet that came about. (laughs) And I predated that by quite some time. So it came upon me a little bit unexpectedly, but uh, when it did, I saw this ability for a network of the world where you could send an email to somebody and they'd get it like instantly. It's like, really? I used to use postage stamps. I mean, I thought thought the fax machine was kind of cool. I love it. It's pretty sick, right? But the fact. Well, it may be
0: sick. I mean, it's my story too. That's exactly the story. I mean, I wasn't a software developer, but I know that era. That's the era I grew up in too. So, absolutely.
1: Yeah, you kind of appreciate it when you didn't have it, right? And all of a sudden, it becomes upon you, and you're like, "Wow!" But then you start realizing, well, if it's a network and two machines can connect, I'm not going to get geeky on you, but um, (laughs) two machines can connect and share data. Well, what else can they share? Okay, mm-hmm. emails one thing, right?
2: Mm-hmm, sure. Web
1: browsing is yep. another thing. Yep. I can go to eBay.com and buy something. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I can share voice, like a telephone call, voice over IP. Maybe I can share video. Hey, we're streaming on the internet. Go <laughs> figure. Look how far we've come. Uh, one thing that always held it back was money. And the one thing that I kind of felt was I, I, I'm... I got into computers when I was a kid because I liked to play video games, mm-hmm. and I think uh, so many people actually did. Yeah, and I and I kept I kept playing video games all the way through. You know, when I was shouldn't I was too old to do that. I shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> I'm still out there, you know, playing World of Warcraft. It's ridiculous. Um, but when I was doing that, I found out that there was these really bizarre things going on in, in gaming. You could, you know, you put all of this time into these games, and you built your character up and, you you know, you did all this sort of stuff. And you, you did a thing they used to call back in those massive multiplayer online role-playing games, this thing called farming. Mm. And the idea was you spend all this time out there killing zombies or whatever and getting experience and getting loot so that you could go and buy that sword you needed to be able to do a better job of it. Mm, and, absolutely. Yeah, it was called grinding. You just got into this endless circle. Of, yeah. Yeah. And so I realised, you know... I actually have to earn a living here. I've got to work and I've got a family to support and I can't be playing video games all day, but I really like that sword. I want it. How do I get that sword without having to work for it? Yeah. Some hmm. really smart people out there realized that there were these, you know, 1.5 billion people in China who didn't earn anything. They were all from the farming. They wanted to come and live in the city. So they stuck a computer in front of them and said, go there and farm on this game. And earn this stuff and then we'll buy it from you at a price and we'll sell it to Miles at a better price and we'll make money on the arbitrage. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is a really neat idea. So mm-hmm. I, I started doing that and then realised, well, how do I pay you? Like, how do I... You're giving me a virtual goods. They're not real. Mm-hmm. How do I get them? And what had happened is you'd go into these games and you'd meet in, in, in this virtual pub somewhere. This dude would come up who was previously you knew he was coming, he'd just come up and start chatting to you and he'd give you what you bought. Mm. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, that's your supply chain. Um, how do I pay you? How do I give you money so you'll do that? Well, you go on these websites and you pay them money. Well, you know, okay, I can send an email for nothing. I can send a text for nothing. I can browse a web page for nothing. I can search Google for nothing. Surely I can send money Not so fast. Um, (laughs) this is an interesting storyline. I have to say, yeah. Well, digital, digital money didn't exist. I mean, back in those days, it was PayPal. That's right. And so, okay, I want to send PayPal for somebody who's selling a virtual good that doesn't exist. And the banking industry are concerned that I'm going to do a chargeback. So I can't send that by (laughs) paper. All right. Okay. So how else are we going to do it? Well, we're going to. Create this thing called an exchange and we're going to put this exchange in Japan or whatever and you're going to wire a ton of money into it, like, you know, ton of money back in those days, gamer speak, there's like 75 bucks, right, right whatever, right. 100 bucks or whatever. You put all this money in this exchange and then you can use the exchange like it was a bank account and you can pay these people out of this exchange. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Okay. So, so how do we do that? Well, there's this thing called Bitcoin. Ah, Bitcoin, right. So in two thousand and nine there was a white paper produced called Bitcoin, a peer to peer electronic cash system, and it was designed for this very purpose. And that's where I got into it. I ended up finding that it was not only had great efficacy for buying digital virtual goods on the internet, but I also had a guy who was working for me who was in Bangladesh. He was a programmer. Mm -hmm. And he was in a this was in two thousand and eleven. Okay. He was in a Muslim country, and if we go back 10 years prior, we had 9-11, and right. there wasn't a great deal of positive sentiment among, amongst Muslim countries. In fact, his country had no reciprocal banking agreement with the U.S., right. and yet this guy was a great programmer, and I needed him working on projects, so how would I pay him? Well, I could go down to Western Union and try <laughs> and, you know, and they would only take cash, and mm. this was insane, and they wanted to take 27%. Of everything that was sent to him. And you couldn't That's, even guarantee that it would be delivered to him. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I used to send him these, like, I, they call them MTIN numbers. But two weeks after I sent it, I mean, it wasn't efficient. But he's in Bangladesh. What else are you going to do? Start, mm, right? Yeah. He's got to. But I said to him, you know, I, he's a really good programmer, a good guy. And I said, look, um, maybe there's a better way. Maybe we can try this Bitcoin thing out because I've been using it to buy stupid shields and swords over here. <laughs> um, what about if I – can you take Bitcoin mm. because I can pay you directly? And he goes, well, I can if I can convert it to my local currency. Right. So we discovered there was this exchange that came out of Hong Kong ah. called um, uh, and A- A- X. Okay. They've long gone, I'm sure, by now. But back in those days, before Hong Kong became a real part of China, it was like a, a you know, a banking uh, center of the world. And right. and so I opened up an account at ANX, and I transferred all my Bitcoin into this ANX account. And they had this; they gave him a debit card. And I said, "Here you go. Here's a debit card. Go to your local ATM and see if you can withdraw what True. I pay you." Mm-hmm. And it worked. Ah. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden. He's pulling down 100 US dollars for like 50 cents.
2: Mm.
1: Going, I used to lose 27% to the Western Union banksters. I can go to the ATM and just get it and it's costing me 50. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Absolutely. I'm going, I got myself a new programmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's Absolutely. Gonna, yeah. you know, he's going to love working with me because, you know. And so we did this for quite some time. I had bought a big clump of this Bitcoin to pay him. And I put it aside in this exchange and it was being used for its original intended purpose, an electronic peer-to-peer cash system. Mm-hmm. Then its price went from $7 that I bought it at <laughs> to $1,200. Mm. And I'm going, uh, maybe I'm not going to pay you with this Bitcoin now. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then I, I was like, what have I just stumbled into? So mm. all of a sudden I went down the rabbit hole. And I uh, said, okay. I need to learn everything there is about this. And as a software developer and understanding cryptography and understanding where this came from, not the people, but where, right. it wasn't very hard to trace it through right. to its, you know. And it, and you kind of look at it and think, I get it. But if I'm going to understand, like if I was going to write software to help somebody out, I, I'd go into industries I had nothing to do with. I mean i get called in to write software to do cryogenic freezer storage <laughs> management. You know, I, I don't even know what the hell that is. But <laughs> they need a database, right? Yeah, I can yeah, do right. that. Right? So I learned the art of um, asking open questions to get them to tell me how their world works, right? And mm-hmm. I do this in defense and in banking and in entertainment and in medical and all these fields. So I thought, well, if I'm going to understand Bitcoin, I need to understand money. And that was an amazing adventure because I learned, I went back in time, thousands of years to the dawn Mm. of time, to the dawn of money, and I understand where it came from. And that led me through that whole journey into the school of, I guess, what one would call Austrian economics. Right. And then that described to me why this was important, um, and I was for many years, probably all through to about twenty seventeen twenty eighteen. I was, I was that annoying guy who was evangelizing everybody on Bitcoin, right? <laughs> but, but I, but I was there at the Genesis, and I could, yeah. I could understand. I, I was telling people. I, I remember I had this client here in Phoenix who I became kind of friends with, and I was just telling him, you know, you, you should check this Bitcoin thing out. This is when it was like about one hundred and eighty bucks a Bitcoin. Mm. And they and these two young guys, right, they were fresh out of ASU Arizona State University. Um, MBA grads, you know, you think they're all about money. They want to they want to be on in on this. They're like, uh, I don't know, I don't know about that. And then, you know, they, sound they like it actually. <laughs> well look, it's understandable, right? Um they they got a fifty thousand dollar investment bunch of money from one of their shareholders in this company they formed. And they were almost going to use it to buy Bitcoin, and they didn't. And I said, well, you do you, <laughs> right? Um, I'm good here, so it's all fine. I'm just trying to help a friend out. Sure. So I moved on. And then 2017, when Bitcoin went to 20,000, 2018, 2017, I think it was, Um, it like, oh, uh, this is real. <laughs> this is now, you know, seven digits. This is now like big money. Yeah. Um, okay. And then I remember I got a phone call from these guys. It was like probably five years after I told them to get into it. And they're like, damn it. (laughs) Should have listened, Miles. I'm like, well, I I lit a horse to water, you know. Now, having said that, 2018 comes about. I sold all my Bitcoin. Oh, you did? Yeah. Everyone's looking at me going, you idiot. You idiot. You could have held on to it when it went, went, went to 65,000 or whatever. Yeah, but I saw something that I didn't like seeing. And that's where I changed my tune. Okay. Because I understood the genesis of money, I understood technology and protocols and software. Sure. But I didn't understand people enough. It wasn't until I started to study psychology mm-hmm. and I understood the motives of greed. And I understood the motives of fear of missing out and why, why we are the way we are and how we are just flawed animals. And, you know, we're lucky we can build tools and become an apex predator, but that's kind of luck. Um, you know, and I started realizing you can't, you can't sort of undo stupid. You can't undo flaws. You, you're born with them. Our human race is like that. I saw bit. See, here's the thing. I saw Bitcoin as this great equalizer. I saw it as a way that 8 billion people on this planet could all get to have money and get to bank and have a little smartphone and trade between them. There were no counterparties and mm-hmm. there were no banks mm-hmm. and it was pure and it was the original intention of the white paper. Because yeah. remember, the white paper came out of our, our 2008 global financial crisis. Right, right, yeah. You know, no one liked banks back then. Remember Occupy Not Wall Not particularly, no. Right. So – um there was purpose, you know, it had, it had traction. People wanted to hear Mm -hmm. this story. Mm -hmm. But then when 2017 came about and there were all these scams and there were all Mm -hmm. these fear and greed and people absconding and what they call nowadays, they call rug pulls and Mm -hmm. all these things. It was like, I'm not proud to be a human at this point in time because we've given you guys a gift. We've given you guys something that will get rid of inflation. We've given you something that will equalize the world, that will decentralize the world. And look what you do with it. This is what you do with it. Goldman Sachs absconds with half of it and pushes the price up and and everybody's like trying to rip each other off. And it's like, no, (laughs) you've missed the point. And that's when I'm like, I'm out. I was like, you know, the guys in Shark Tank, I'm "I'm out. You know, that was me. (laughs) Um, and I, I exited the space. I dabbled in little projects around it that might have some efficacy, but they were all cursed with the same human flaw of greed and power and totalitarianism. And and I realised that's 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 our story, and we can't we can't undo that. That's how we are. Money is. Uh, I mean, I you know I took this to such an enormous degree. I went to Venice, Italy, to where investment banking was invented in a little town square in the Carineggio there in the Jewish mm-hmm. ghetto. Yeah. And I under- understood how the Jewish people kind of hacked the system to be able to create banks to lend money sure. for good reason because oh, yeah. that the farmers needed to buy seed before the crops were yielding and the people in Venice need to be fed. So, yeah, there's good reason for this. But there was also a point where things got out of hand, right? and yep. I think the fear of the Romans back in those days was that they didn't want things to get out of hand and that the New Testament in the Bible was their, you know, that was their law, mm. and they wanted to be 100% accurate to it. And the Jewish people said, well, you don't buy that second book. We're only into the first one, so, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll do it our way, thanks. And, and they were allowed, but at, this, at the same t- uh, token, I, I saw that their history was exactly the same thing, the same thing that happened in the 1800s to the run on the banks and the collapse of banking in the late 1800s. The same thing it brought down, uh, brought us to the Great Depression, that was people borrowing money to sure. buy stocks. Um, and then the same thing in 1971 when we left the gold standard and all of a sudden we free-floated our currency based on, I don't know, whatever, um, and now we've got an inflation problem as we had in 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, these are problems that repeat based on human greed and... Bitcoin does not solve these problems. It just provides us a different protocol of money and therefore unless it solves the problem its efficacy is minimal and in my I wouldn't say it's it's a a failed project because we've learnt so much from it mm. but its original intent has been has been lost and I would love to see that returned. I really would. There are a lot of people, particularly the OGs in the in the Bitcoin world, like me, would love to see that return because it's why we got excited about the project, you know, ten, mm-hmm. eleven years ago. Right. But but now, uh, not so excited by it. So if
0: if you were to look at it from the perspective you now have today, looking say five, ten years down the road, what are the prospects that you see for Bitcoin or indeed for other cryptocurrencies?
1: Wow. Um, it doesn't have prospects. It's just, it's just a protocol. It's just money, right? Mm-hmm. It's like saying, what's the prospects for a US dollar? It's just money? It's what mm-hmm. you do with it. Mm-hmm. The, uh, they're, they're, like we have well, money. I guess the
0: question, let me, let me qualify my question. Oh. I guess my question has to do with, uh, um, adoption and acceptance on a, on a massive basis. Oh.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So. That's a bit of an uphill battle uh, that I don't think can be won. Now, I'll explain why. Um, the United States is the world reserve currency. 80% of the world uses it to base their own currency on. So, you know, I don't know. Someone in Japan needs money and they, they have gold and they want to, you know, lend it to us or, you know, basically they buy US bonds and that's how they, they have some stability in their currency. Mm -hmm. Um, if eighty percent of the rest of the world does that, and yeah, okay, look, there's China and Russia's got the ruble and you know, they've got their own way of doing it. But we we established our dominance in that world because of oil, because of the petrodollar. Um Well and too. We, I mean the two work together. Yeah. Really. Yeah, exactly. I mean dominance over World War Two and and oil has created our situation where the world relies on us. Um you think that the the United States also doesn't really uh, make a surplus at the moment. It hasn't for about 20 years. Right. Uh, so we're not in a situation where we export more than we import. So we're not a, a production economy per se. We're a consumption economy. Right. And in that world where you control the currency and you're a consumption economy, if you don't control the currency, you are going to risk downfall. I mean, completely. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, – Bitcoin comes along and it says, look, um, there are 21 million Bitcoins. There can't be any more. And that you can't make it up. Unlike, you know, the guys at the central bank can just make up whatever they want Mm -hmm. and inflate the currency the way they want. Uh, You can't do that with math, with Bitcoin. It's got to be honest and transparent. And and I kind of see like the US government is looking at this going, well, you know, they've got a trillion trillion dollar market cap right now and let's get them while they're young. We don't need them around threatening our position. There are too many powerful and wealthy people here who could lose everything. How are we going to allow this to succeed? I mean, unless there's something in it for us, Mm. that would be suicide, right? So, you know, look, we have a long history. If you ever go back and read um, John Perkins' book, The... Was it the Amer- american hit uh, American hitman economic hitman okay, uh, I
0: don't know the book but okay oh
1: brilliant <clears throat> he, he used to work for the I think the NSA or the CIA as a inside oh, okay. guy mm-hmm. and he came clean with all of the stuff that the u s was doing around areas like Central America and in Asia and so on where they were toppling governments by putting them into debt and then becoming uh the The votes within the u n and so on would favor the United States position because they were basically over a barrel, and this was a standard practice going on in the eighties and the nineties and the seventies mm-hmm. um, China took that playbook perfectly and did exactly the same thing. They just did that to Sri Lanka, which is what you'd see on the news at the moment but this this is this is what the power of being world number one looks like right you know. They have the power to overthrow governments. They have the power to create war. They have the power to make up currency and they want to maintain that. And that's not a, don't get me wrong, I come from a country which would have been Japanese if it wasn't for the United States. <laughs>
2: and, yeah. You know,
1: So I'm favorable to to that position to some degree, but not at the expense of the individual and their right to freedom. And mm-hmm. I think that at some point, Bitcoin is a major threat. And so in mm-hmm. terms of, Its future, um, it has some uphill battles, which I don't know if it's going to ever win. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fighting the US uh, US, uh, central bank digital currency, which has already been published out there in white paper form and is openly being discussed. Uh, It's going to be threatened by regulators. It's going to be threatened by uh, banking licensing and all these things to slow it down. Uh, But ultimately, it doesn't serve the interests of the United States. So will it survive? I don't know. As a as an American citizen, do I want it to survive? I don't know. I don't want my country dying. You know? I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, burn it to the ground, you know, fiat currency bad, and you know. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. another thing to live in that world. Oh, it's um, very
2: different,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I, I sort of look at Bitcoin and I go, you're getting a little bit too threatening here, and I think they're going to... They're going to take some pretty harsh steps at some point, but they're going to let you go as far as possible because there's all this technology coming out of the project which maybe they could use to their advantage. But mm-hmm. I, I, I think that we can't... Yeah, okay, look. Basic free market, right? Supply and demand, 21 million of them out there. That means that everyone that's less, because somebody owns it, the value of the Bitcoin goes up. So, yeah, you could sit there as a speculator and go, HODL and, you know, make money... There's yeah. a lot of that. And, and look, yeah, I'm yeah. as guilty as anybody for that. But at some point, you also have to realize that wasn't the intention here. And because we've sort of gone off the rails on it, I'm not really sure whether it's going to stay around that much longer. But having said that, and I've been wrong before, um, one too. can one can speculate, right? Put money in there, you can afford to lose. What is it going to matter? It matters when it's 50000 a Bitcoin, sure. Yeah. But it doesn't matter when it was $7 like it was for me. So mm-hmm. one could argue that was luck. I look at it as sensitivity to something that was going on and having a punt mm-hmm. when it didn't really cost much to have a punt. Mm-hmm. I guess there's luck involved because I can't control the the reality of how this works. But at the same time, I've invested on many other things that haven't worked. I've invested on many things that have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I When I was a kid... In Australia, I grew up in my teenage years learning how to surf Mm -hmm, and it was the best education I ever had in my life because I, oh yeah, when you go out in the waves and you're on this piece of fiberglass and there's you and this massive ocean around you Mm -hmm. and there's sharks out there that'll kill you and everything. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of just dealing with it, but you learn that the waves, they're not answering to you. You're not godlike to them. They're going to come they're going to dump on you if you're in the wrong place and if you're in the right place, you see him coming ahead of time, you position and you paddle like crazy, you're going to get the ride of your life and you're going to have the energy of the universe transferred to you and you're going to feel it in your spirit. It's what drives surfers into this euphoric state. It's why sure. people surf until the day they die all over right. the world because they get it. They get this spiritual connection with something, energy, the universe, whatever you want to call it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When I learned that, I learned one thing, and that is I'm never going to catch a wave when it's on me or it's be, or it's in front of me. I'm yeah, only true. going to catch a wave when I'm ahead of it, yep. and it's all about my preparation, my ability to paddle, and then waiting for that sucker to pick me up and hoping I pick the right one.
0: That, that's that's how I analogy. invest. I love that. That's a great that's analogy.
1: How, yeah. Well, waves are like stock market charts, right? When you see them go down, that's when you want to start paddling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Because you know they're going to come back up again, and so Mm -hmm. when people say to me, "Should I buy Bitcoin?" It's like, "Are you a surfer? (laughs) Because if you're not a surfer, you got no business being in the water, (laughs) buddy."
0: That is funny. I love that. That's a great analogy. That really is a beautiful one. I love that a whole lot. Well,
1: it applies to pretty much anything that you know. It does, but but still, it's a good good one for this circumstance. Yeah,
0: really good. I love that a lot. This is really fascinating. I'm I'm fascinated by your story. I've I looked at Bitcoin when it first came out, and I was very concerned about a lot of things where it was concerned, so I didn't want to invest anything in it. In hindsight, I kind of wish I'd done some mining just because, well, I'm not putting any money in. I'm just spending some time solving these ridiculous little problems. I, I kind of wish I'd done that, but I didn't. So, you know, water under the bridge, and uh, I could be a multimillionaire, but I'm not.
1: Oh, well. Don't, don't live in regret. No, I mean, the thing no is you, you, you can't change what's behind no. you. And if you, I say this to my daughter all the time, if you live your life looking in the rear view mirror, you're going to crash the car. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And you're going to miss the opportunities that are coming up. So yeah. absolutely true. One of the things that uh, came to my mind as you were telling your wonderful story, I love, I love the way the whole thing laid out. That's, that's gorgeous. Um, when the 2008 financial crisis came along, um, one of the things that came out of it is something that, I, to this day, I'm convinced that many, not all, and, and this is one thing that I'm getting out of these interviews that I'm doing with people like you, but many people in the Bitcoin world didn't come to terms with, is a key component of, of what you correctly described as Austrian economics. By the way, we, we don't really de- define that term here on the podcast, just so you know wh- where that comes from. Austrian economics is so named because uh, some of the leading thinkers that were involved in in formulating the nature of it were – Originally from Austria, that's <laughs> not surprisingly. <laughs> and that's why it's called that. It's, it's a uh, relatively small school of economics compared to, say, the Chicago school where Milton Friedman and others come from. And there are other schools as well, but it's, it, it's basically a, a thought process or a, a, a way of, of understanding and, and making sense out of uh, economic history, in this case, monetary history, although Austrian economics covers a, a wider span than just uh, monetary history. So, so that's where all that comes from. Um, but uh, one of the key components of the Austrian theory is the idea that it's important to maintain the purchasing power of currency. That's where you were talking about earlier, the importance of having a limited supply, and so you can't inflate, and that leads to basically uh, the money supply maintaining its, its purchasing power. Um, something which fiat money does not want to have because of the belief system they have that if you slowly keep increasing the amount of currency that's out there, you basically stimulate economic activity. We won't even get into the debate of whether or not that's true. That's basically that true. what the idea yeah. is. Yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, so with that kind of as a, as a backdrop, here we come into 2008, which many in the Bitcoin slash libertarian slash freedom slash whatever you want to call it group, saying, okay, this is the this is the big watershed moment we've been waiting for because they have been inflating like crazy and now all of a sudden the banks have gotten themselves in trouble and the whole thing is about to fall apart. This is our moment, except that it wasn't. <laughs> Basically, the markets came along and said, yeah, well, okay, let's look at this. What we want is liquidity. Um, we're going to see that because they're going to create this uh, magical money out of thin air to bail out the banks. We love it. Let's go, bull market. Here we go. So much for purchasing power. They didn't care about purchasing power. Purchasing power got zero votes out of 2008. And and that's one of the things that really bugs me about the Bitcoin community at that time. Now, I'm probably speaking a little bit too far out of turn where Bitcoin is concerned today. But nevertheless, I think that's a trend that continues to some degree. Basically, an unwillingness to recognize that that part of Austrian economic theory didn't actually hold up.
1: Well, I, I think it's fair to say that there's often a misunderstanding of what Bitcoin is as opposed to what the services surrounding it could be. So a Bitcoin is only a protocol, just in the right. same way that a silver coin or a dollar bill is a protocol. It's how we communicate our, our wants and needs. Uh we use it as a as a valuation measurement, an increment. Um what I think went against Bitcoin is that Okay. I draw, I draw this analogy. I recently did this on a, one of my podcasts, but, uh, if you measure, if you're building a house, you have this idea that you want to build a wall and it's say 12 feet long. Mm. Well, you and I know what 12 feet is. Sure. But how do we know what 12 foot is? What, what exactly defines what a foot is? We believe somebody gives us a ruler Mm -hmm. and it's about that. right? Right. But who certifies that? Who's the defin- definer of measurements and increments? And who, who guarantees that your ruler and my ruler are exactly the same? Somebody somewhere in history did because we've moved past that. The Freemasons moved past that, you know, and so on. But the truth is that we don't question a measurement of distance, and we use it to build and engineer things of great size and shape and power. Mm. Um, Money doesn't have that same quality. It's not a science. Money is an art. Money is the value of a dollar changes every day. The value of the purchasing power is not an inch, which never changes. It's a constant variable commodity. When people look at Bitcoin and they measure it against U.S. dollars, is that a question of the value of Bitcoin or is that a question of the difference or the value of the dollar? Because if my dollar is worth less, then I'm going to have more Bitcoins, right? And if my dollar is worth more, I'm going to have less Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin mm-hmm. price goes up and down measured against the US dollar, nobody ever asks the question whether the US dollar is the actual moving target or whether it is <laughs> Bitcoin, right? It's a valid point, sure. And Bitcoin is, is based on math. Well, when you have a situation where mathematics denotes uh, exact I mean, can't argue math, right? right? Then you have the same principle as an inch or a centimetre or a metre or a yard or whatever. You have exactly the same principle. And then you can do big things. You can build big buildings. You can safely do all of these wonderful things with it. But when you've got an entire world which is based on the fluctuation and arbitrage of a moving dollar, mm-hmm. whether it be the forex market, whether it be... um you know, the, the, the underpinning of say the credit market or financial services, uh, the borrowing and, and lending. If I give a bank a thousand dollars, do they float it out on the exchange? And then, you know, I mean, all that stuff, right? That if that's underpinning our entire economy and you're going to come along and say, all of that's got to go. We've got this static measurement, just like we have to build a building. That whole financial services industry completely collapses. And with that, governments collapse, because when your government is entirely based on debt, it is 100% related and tethered to the central banks. And so it cannot allow this to fail. I mean, it cannot. Right. It's not a question of whether it should. Bitcoin people will argue Oh, the, yeah. There Yeah, there,
0: there, there, there was never any question that it was going to. It had to, because otherwise it would mean the end of all of it. It would, it would mean the end of that entire system.
1: Yeah. But with that said, is it a boolean statement whether it's going to be bitcoin or not bitcoin or is it going to be fiat or not fiat? Because we do have problems with fiat currency. We have extreme bubbles and drops. Oh sure. And that's hurt us financially. It's wiped out and led to the despair of many and it's led to the, you know, exuberance of many as well and is this just a matter of wealth movement from one party to another? Is that is the nature of fiat currency is part of its property is to enable wealth movement from one party to another by the nature of the dollar shifting all the time. And I Mm -hmm. would argue, yes, it is 100%. And therefore you've got to give something to these rich guys that they would say, okay, I'm on board with that, or they're just going to shoot it down. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Bitcoin does not give them.
0: Mm, that's true. It's a valid point. Yeah. And and I would also add in that uh, as much – I think we give a lot, perhaps even too much uh, credit to the rich guys, to the, to the rich and powerful. Yes, they certainly play a major role. But at the end of the day, what it really comes down to with anything to be considered money is does the public consider it money? It's, it's really that in a nutshell. I mean it, it's about public confidence. And to this date, so far, the record of the dollar from the perspective of your average person in the public compared to the the perspective they have of a Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency is positive. I mean, it's got its problems. I'll be the last person to say that it doesn't have any problems. It's got plenty of problems, but they're nowhere near as bad as the other guy. And that's the thing. And and as long as that condition entails – I don't really see how it gets supplanted. I don't see how the dollar gets replaced. Until, so the actually, dollar, until the dollar actually becomes worse than the alternative, why would anyone want to look at anything else other than the dollar or the euro well, or whatever the main ones they're looking at?
1: You have a point. Let me ask you a question, though. Did Have you filled your tank up with gas recently at a at a gas pump?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Quite, a, quite a high price.
1: How did you pay for it?
0: Uh, I paid with, with um, digitally... Uh, Demarcated dollars.
1: (laughs) A credit card, right? A credit card or a debit card, yeah. Or a debit card, right, in the machine. okay. So if you look at the number of people in this country who pay for their goods and services, and and I would argue that maybe 70% of them probably whip a credit card out and do it. Probably. They're They're not using their dollars. They're using somebody else's money, and then they become indebted to that party to pay them back at a later point. So you pay your credit card bill off at the end of the month or whatever. But they don't see it that way. No, they don't. But the fact is it doesn't really matter whether it was dollars on the credit card that were being moved around or it was credits or it was tokens. Well, actually, I would
0: argue that it does matter.
1: Okay. 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 Tell me.
0: Very simply, it matters because regardless what people understand about how money is created or what it is or who controls or whatever, I think if you were to take a a poll – almost anywhere in the, in the world, but certainly here in the U.S., of do they want to have their money denominated in dollars or denominated in fill in the blank with something else, they'll say dollars.
1: What about because, the U.S. Central Bank Digital Currency Project they've got going on, though? I mean, they may call it dollars. It might be bit dollars or whatever I, they call it. I suspect it. that's what they will do. because so it's a marketing maintain,
0: thing? It, well, it, it's a psychological thing. I mean, you mentioned psychology earlier. There, there is the basically, we, I, I, the way I like to understand all transactions, all economics, is the emotional side of it. Austrian economics likes to look more at the rational side of it. But really, the emotional side is what drives it because everything is an emotional decision. And because it's all an emotional decision, then you have to look at, well, what are the emotional underpinnings? And one of those emotional underpinnings is it's a dollar. It, it doesn't have to be a digital dollar or a paper dollar. It, it's a dollar. And that th- 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 it, it isn't even a marketing thing. It is a psychological attachment.
1: Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I would ask uh, in context of going to Disney World and you get mm-hmm. Disney dollars, would you treat them the same way? As what? As a regular dollar? Probably not. I'd probably use them at Disney. <laughs> right. But what you would probably also do is you would spend money, whether it be by borrowed credit card money or by cash, right. to obtain a wallet full of Disney bucks. hmm and then you'd be in the theme park and you can't go anywhere else because no one else accepts yeah. it. So,
0: so within the park, you, you'd spend your Disney bucks.
1: Right. So yeah. with each time you spend it, would you be inclined to spend less or more because you have your own control of your wallet?
0: Well, I'm not sure if it's because of control of the wallet. I think it's because I control how much I actually bought in terms of Disney bucks. I bought X number of Disney bucks. I'm there at Disney. I'm going to spend all my Disney bucks. I can't use it anywhere else.
1: Yeah, well, there's, that's true. That, that's a good point. I, I sort of think of Bitcoin as being an attempt to try to be the Disney bucks of economics, which isn't really working because there's no credit associated with it. Well, there's it's also so, no Disney you know,
0: associated with it. I mean, at least Disney, right. you get, you get the theme park. Where's the, well, yeah, park? somebody's got to accept it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah you got to be able to spend it. Um, I mean, there's value to the theme park.
1: I enjoy the theme park. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they take Disney bucks. So you buy them and you yeah. spend them there. Yeah. No, I get yeah. it. Um, I, I kind of am thinking in terms of what what would be able to or the dollar has problems that are not necessarily associated with the dollar, right? It's a decimal mm-hmm. number. We have ten fingers, you know. It's sure. easy to count. We don't have to deal with imperial versus metric and all that. Um, it's easy to work in dollars. Mm-hmm. The accounting around it is kind of messed up, but that's yep. fine. Yep. You know that was that dates back hundreds of years you know before the oh, yeah. computers and so on, so whatever, but this whole extreme high extreme low and mechanism of wealth transfer i would that doesn't feel right to me right it no. doesn't and and I think all of us would probably agree in some ways we We would love to you know live in a world where the stock market only ever went up, and you know you could never go wrong and you're never going lose your shirt. Look, I've lost my shirt so many times. I've made millions. I've lost millions. I've been pulled from car wreckages nearly half dead. Yeah. I've, you know, I've done... I've been around the block on this thing too many damn times. And I realise that you get older and you you don't really want to be going around the block anymore. You want something stable. And I think that the biggest concern I have right now is that you get older and all of a sudden amassed some form of wealth, whether it be through toil or labour or arbitrage or whatever you've done, speculation, investment, risk management, whatever, Mm -hmm. you want to be able to see that that pays you back because you can't work anymore. And we don't have a system right now that can answer that question. It's a fundamental human need. We don't have a system which provides us with the ability for, in our elder years, to be healthy and safe. unless. We equate money to that, and yet we cannot be out there earning more money because we're old grey, and we, you know, backs are bad, and whatever. And yet we don't have a system other than our traditional um, investment model, like equities, bonds, and so on, uh, that is controlled by a financial services industry that is based on a dollar that fluctuates in its value from day to day. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not saying that it can't be solved. I'm just saying that you've got. Millions of baby boomers out there who are not, right? Yeah, (laughs) we do. We're we're all there. Um, Who are not earning anything meaningful on our historical toil, and we're looking for something. And yeah, I get the fact that we are skeptical about these new things that come along because look at our history, right? Mm. We've been getting 0.09% on our savings account at the bank (laughs) for years, and we're like, that ain't going to work, and now you tell me about a ten percent inflation rate. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. Mm-hmm. Um, Bitcoin comes along naturally. You're going to go, "Oh, is this any different than anything else?" Right? They all tried. They all tried to tell us that we were all going to be, you know. Uh Yeah, I get it. I do get it. I'm not an advocate or a maximalist at cryptocurrency, but I am fundamentally and philosophically saying. We need something different because what we got right now ain't keeping Grandpa alive. And when he's looking down the barrel of going into the nursing home that wants $300,000 for him to get a bed there, we got to have something here because that problem ends up back on our laps. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the answer to that is. But I'm willing to try.
2: Hmm.
0: I like that last bit that I'm willing to try uh, because I I agree. I'm willing to try too. I'll I'll tell you what my... Unfettered, uh, no evidence behind it. Projection is. <laughs> this is my. This is speculation, mm-hmm. and I can't even be specific about it. That's how speculative this is. This is so wildly speculative that it's 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 it's, it's, it's airy fairy. Let's put it that way. I honestly believe, and I've mentioned this a few times in the last month or so. I honestly believe that at some point, ten to fifteen years from now, we're going to be looking back at this point in time, and we're going to recognize that we have a brand new way of thinking about money. The part that I can't tell you is what that is, But, but it's going to be very, very different. I think there are going to be elements of some of the ideas that are involved in cryptocurrency involved. There are going to be elements of fiat money involved. There are going to be elements of a lot of things involved. But I think probably the biggest thing that's going to change is the way we think. We're just going to be thinking differently about it. I can't give you all the fundamentals of that. I'm going to, to kind of speculate that in kind of a very broad sense, we're going to be feeling better about ourselves and that's going to change the way we think about stuff. But even that, I can't, I can't give you evidence of that. I can't say, well, here's how I know that that's true. This is just my speculation. But I honestly think we're going to be in a place like that in about 10 to 15 years and so we're going to look back and we're going to say, that was an amazing 10 to 15 years. It was painful. It was crazy. It was up and down. It was all over the place. But we're in an entirely different space now, and I just don't think about money the way I did fifteen years ago,
1: yeah no I mean there, there may well be some traction to that because we look at technology, robotics um, mm. automation, our needs for things change yep. i th- I think we have to get past our own flaws, uh, particularly the the greed for power, the lust for power that uh you know it's one thing to say, I can create an autonomous car so grandpa can go to you know, bingo, and he doesn't have to drive because <laughs> they took away his driver's license, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. But if the person who controls the access to that is not necessarily pure of heart, um, I'm not sure how that's going to work. And I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not a big... I'm kind of more of an anarcho-capitalist, if you were to call us anything. I know the phrase, but, yes. Right. Uh, I'm not a My fan of My listeners probably have
0: no idea what you're talking about. but no. you, don't have, you, don't, you don't have to know, Look it don't worry. It's, Look yeah, it up. It's not that important.
1: <laughs> right. Um, I'm not a fan of government, and I don't think that government as a fallback mechanism, as a counterparty to our own security, uh necessarily has our back at all cases, that there are interests within that that may be juxtaposed with our own mm. And, um, that's okay. I, you shouldn't need them is my kind of position. It's like if you, if you set yourself up from an early age on the basis that I'm going to be my own government, I'm going to be my own bank, I'm going to be my own financier, I'm going to be my own safety net, you're probably yeah. okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and I've taken that to ridiculous extremes. I just bought a, a big acreage of property in Mexico that I built a compound on. Nice. Them yeah so i'm i'm kind of going into one hundred percent crazy self sufficient prepper land down there but um but You're i' believe- fun doing it i think oh yeah i like tacos you know. um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I believe in uh what i think is a, 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 the emerging markets of that and the tr- mm. the supply routes and the changing trade and the you know, the reduction in trade with china and the increase in trade with uh latin america and i think that uh, my punt is on that, but regardless when getting back to your point about the future of money, um, yeah, I, the need of money could change because of automation as long as that it is evenly distributed. And that sounds really bad coming from an Um, (laughs) anarcho-capitalist. People have no idea what you're talking about, but I get it. Yes. I'm not a communist, right? I'm not (laughs) that guy, but there needs to be, um, okay. So uh, let me put it to you this way. If you've got a world in which there is not equal access to opportunity, then you cannot have the utopia that we are hoping to see. And what I mean by that, and I'm not talking about the stuff you see on the nightly news, I'm saying as an immigrant that came to this country with a bag of clothes, with nothing, I came up close and personal with opportunity. I never finished high school. I came to this country attempting to get a job and was told no 20 times over by companies that could have benefited greatly from hiring me. Having left a country in which I just had written the software that ran a $5 billion diesel electric submarine manufacturing project for the Australian government that billed $50 million a month out of my little software running on a Macintosh, not unlike what I've got sitting behind me. Single-handedly, at the age of 24, I wrote that sucker to manage a $5 billion submarine contract. I come to this this country because I didn't have the right paper, and it could have been because I had the wrong skin colour or I had the wrong ethnicity or the wrong gender or whatever you want to call it, because I didn't have that, I was denied opportunity to practice. And that, to me, is the tantamount problem that we have to get past. If we can get past that, then allow people to be measured on their results. Okay, don't question how they get there, but measure them on their results. If they screw up and they don't get good results then it's on them, they wear it, clean up your mess. I get that. But don't deny them opportunity. And in a world where money denotes opportunity, we've got a big problem on our hands.
0: I wish we had talked about this at the beginning of the show because we're out of time, and I'd love to get into this 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 would be really fascinating to talk about, but we'll have to save it for another time before we part company though. Tell people how to find out more about Miles Wakem. who's a pretty interesting guy. I have to say I've been enjoying this conversation. Thank you very much
1: Oh, I'm sure I upset people too you know <laughs> yeah, no, that's um, part of it, though uh, be unconstrained dot com is where I live that's on the internet. I'm out there. on It's a website. You can find my podcast there. I do a podcast every week called The Unconstrained Podcast. I do these sort of interviews. I write articles. I, I'm on The Ben Stein Show every week. Um, yeah, that's where I live. If you want to find more about me, that's the place to go. That's
0: beautiful. All right. Well, Miles, first of all, thank you very much for being on the show. Second of all, I love the stories. Thank you for the stories. And third, I, I'm going to try and invite you back again sometime. We'll, we'll have to carry on the conversation from where we're leaving it off because I think it would it'd be, to. be really fun. Yeah, we'd love yeah. to. That'd be really great. So,
1: wonderful. Thank, thank you, you for much. having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, it was, it was wonderful. It was an absolute treat. And thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. Be sure to check out the regular LOA Today podcast as well, which I'll be recording the Friday episode with uh, Debbie and Neo in about five minutes. So we'll see you then. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.